Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Good day, fabulous human being. I hope that you are having a tremendous day. We have an amazing podcast for you today. We have Dr. Dawson Church, who wrote the best-selling book, The Genie in Your Genes, years ago. He is a pioneer in understanding how consciousness can affect your genes. Um, This is a fantastic episode. I entitled it Mind to Matter, the Astonishing Science of How Your Brain Creates Material Reality. And that is straight from Dr. Dawson Church. This is, uh, you know, he is been in this game for a long time he is a scientist he knows what he is talking about so we dive deep in this when we talk about uh his story and years of research in traditional and alternative medicine scientific studies on the incredible power of eft um, studies on water and consciousness practicing being in the space of kindness and compassion why meditation is the foundation of emotional regulation how to get coherent with eco meditation and he gives us a link and a gift for that he has a lot of amazing resources local mind versus non-local mind the observer effect and so much more so i was so thrilled to have dr dawson church on he's uh like i said he's a pioneer in this space and a truly an amazing human being. Um, I want to thank everybody who's been supporting the podcast. The easiest way to do that is just to simply leave a review. And this one is from Colin, uh, Colleen from Canada. Thank you so much. And it says the welcome, Matt. Matt, you are my favorite podcast host. Your guests are amazing and your gentle and loving approach to humans, animals, nature, and spirituality are both endearing and inspiring. I listen to you while I do janitor work and I swear your grace flows right through my heart and my hands. Thanks for being such an authentic soul. This thing that you do is so important for the healing and evolution of the planet. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to write that. It's a really beautiful review. I appreciate that. Um, Thank you guys who are supporting me on Patreon. Chrissy Silva hooked it up. I appreciate you. Thank you. It makes doing this a little bit um, easier when a little bit is flowing in. And, um, you know, just everybody, if you want to support the podcast, become a patron. Uh, Just go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair. You'll find me there. Thanks to my uh, amazing podcast sponsor, Purium, and you can use bit.ly forward slash activate health to get 50 bucks off uh, anything. They have CBD, they have a, a product, the uh, Biomedic, that's amazing. It takes the GMO out of your, your gut biome for a healthy gut. They have things in like sleep, immune, and they have incredible CBD. It's all certified, not uh, 100% organic stuff. So they really have incredible products. And if you go to bit.ly forward slash activate health, um, you can support our sponsors and get some really epic stuff. Um, The other thing that you can do as you get the insights here, just basically take a screenshot of those insights and send them over on social media, Facebook or Instagram and tag me. And that way I can time code those things and share them as snippets. So as you're listening and you're liking the podcast, please share and then time code those snippets. And I'm going to make those into little short videos that'll be coming out so I can kind of spread the word because sometimes the podcasts are a little bit long and uh, it's just an easy way to get the word out. 
Um, for those of you guys who want some coaching, uh, basically I take it and I work with three types of people. One is like you're really serious about leveling up. Uh, you're looking at a transformation or a change in your life and you want some support doing that. Basically design, I call it like life design, like getting very, very clear on a heart-centered life that you're really stoked on living. And if you're committed to doing what it takes to get there, I'm happy to support. Um, the other type of person would be like the CEO or business person that is looking at, you know, basically efficiency, peak performance, flow state, um, and, and how to relieve stress in the workspace, which is a huge part of flow state is just working in a non-stressful environment because you do not need to do that. That is a choice and it's ridiculous to do that. So, um, I can show you how to do that and obviously athletes. So if you guys are interested in that, just go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and sign up for the email list and all that kind of fun stuff. Follow me on social media, and I think that is about it. So now let's get into this quick and easy meditation because we do, our consciousness does affect our physiology. Our consciousness does affect our genes is in which you are about to find out. So let's make the decision right now to come to a state of peace and presence and tune into our infinite power. So stop whatever you're doing, wherever you are, and take in a deep breath in through your nose connecting with your higher self, your multidimensional self, your infinite self, as you imagine white, golden, platinum, crystalline light coming down from the universe and pulsing through every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being as you let that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries and all the thoughts of the day. Take in another deep breath in through your nose. And this time, just come to the firm commitment to Come into your own power, to your divine nature, to your creator self, knowing that your consciousness, your thoughts, your actions, you can create your own reality and just come into that knowing and that power as an infinite being now. Now let that breath out slowly and take in one more deep breath in through your nose and really connect to your divine, infinite, multidimensional nature. Connect to the power that you are a powerful creator being capable of creating whatever life, whatever reality that you want. Just connecting to that power now. Just letting it wash over every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being, just encoding within you. And send out this energy and this power to everybody you've ever met, to everybody else listening on the podcast, to everybody on the planet, just with your intention, sending out empowering, loving energy to all beings on the planet. I'm sending you that energy and that inner knowing now that you are an infinite, multidimensional creator being that is capable of creating whatever reality that you wish. And just see all the energy come back to you, magnified a million fold and let into the center of your heart. Just allow this energy to wash over every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being until you have a deep, deep knowing that you create your reality. So there we go. I think we are ready to get into this incredible episode with Dr. Dawson Church. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mastermind, Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is an award-winning author whose best-selling book, The Genie in Your Genes, has been hailed by reviewers as a breakthrough in our understanding of the link between emotions and genetics. He founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare to study and implement promising evidence-based psychological and medical techniques. His groundbreaking research has been published in prestigious scientific journals. 
He is the editor of Energy Psychology, Theory, Research, and Treatment, and a blogger for the Huffington Post. His next book, Mind to Matter, The Astonishing Science of How Your Brain Creates Material Reality, will be published by Hay House in June. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dawson Church. Matt, good to be here. Thanks for having me. I know we'll have fun in the next hour. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. You know, it's funny because you're like, I have an hour and I was like, oh man, you have so much stuff. I'll just sit here and listen for <laughs> 10 hours. So let's dive right in and, let, and tell people about what you're working on, a little bit about your background. Well, I have been intrigued by the whole idea of healing for a long time. When I was 15 years old, I joined a spiritual community and it's ironic because my wife was at Woodstock <laughs> she was at Woodstock when she was 15 years old. She was there at Woodstock. When I was 15 years old, I was meditating and I was reading the works of uh, what was called the Great Tradition, all the, the great masters of spirituality throughout the ages. And so uh, we had very different paths. And yet, you know, they, they all converged at a certain point. So I was really intrigued by the whole idea of healing. I took my first class in hands-on healing. And so there are many kinds of hands-on healing, like Reiki and Joe Ray. I learned one called attunement. And um, these are powerful healing techniques. And there's lots of research now showing that these are effective. But um, all through my 20s, 30s, 40s, these kinds of techniques were thought to be really, well, they were called complementary or alternative medicine, i.e. use them as a complement to real medicine, which was technological medicine, drugs or surgery, well, they were alternative. So maybe if everything else had failed, then you went and used alternative medicine once conventional medicine couldn't do it anymore for you. And so this whole idea that, the, that these kinds of techniques were way off there and they were an optional add-on to real healing, which occurred in hospitals and clinics and places like that. And um, what began to happen, especially with the wonderful work by the mindfulness and meditation community was initially in the 1970s and then the 80s, more so in the 90s, there was this research into meditation and it began to show that these kinds of quote unquote alternative methods had effects in the body. And then psychological research showed that they had effects on the mind and in the brain. And so people began to act differently. And so, for instance, in, in one study I did, I did the study in the early 2000s, and it's called the Healthcare Worker Study. And it eventually involved five groups of doctors and nurses and chiropractors and psychotherapists and people like that. And um, in, in these five groups, we did one day of a method called uh, EFT or tapping with them. So we did one day of tapping intensively with these healthcare workers. And there were levels of psychological distress in the form of anxiety, depression, phobias, PTSD. Their levels of distress dropped by 45% in one day. I mean, that's a massive result. So now meditation, mindfulness, tapping, various other kinds of approaches are showing that they're not just uh, feel-good techniques. They're having real effects psychologically. And the newest research is, is the effects that they're having biologically. So I've sort of gone along with this for this long ride over the last 40 years, initially being a meditator, being into energy healing, then being in alternative medicine, and now more and more being in conventional medicine. I'll be training people in a couple of weeks in a big clinic uh, near Cleveland. Uh, I'll be training people at the New York Open Center soon. I'll be training people at Esalen Institute. And so more and more, these what were thought to be far out techniques are making their way into modern medicine. And I've done a lot of research to try and validate them in terms 
that medical professionals will understand. So that's been my sort of long sweep of my trajectory is putting a scientific background behind energy healing. So these, event, these, these methods aren't just energy in some kind of ephemeral way. They're energy that we can measure with an MRI machine or an EEG and show that as you do these techniques, you're having huge shifts psychologically, spiritually, and biologically. That's incredible, man. I love it. I appreciate your work. It reminds me of Bruce Lipton. Uh, I forget what the title is, his books, but it's basically how your consciousness can control or manipulate your genes. So you, you know, your first book, you have, um, what the, what is it called again? It's a really cool title, the GD in your genes, which is really yes. neat. Do you want to cover a little bit of that book or some of the, the lessons that you've learned? Or do you want to, cause I know that you've done this for 40 years, so maybe you can help guide me and where we go, or do you want to talk about your new book and some of the things you discovered with that one? Well, the new book really paves, is, is, the, the old book paves the way for the new book. The old book was um, called The Gene in Your Genes. It's about the science of epigenetics, and every single word of that book is relevant because the book is, was written 15 years ago, but uh, I update the book every three to five years with the newest science, and so the newest edition is uh, four years old, and uh, it shows that our our states of mind, our states of heart, our spiritual practices, meditation, tapping, energy therapies, energy medicine, uh, are affecting us at the level of the genes. And this was revolutionary 15 years ago. I mean, no, no one was, was thinking this, was talking about this. Bruce Lipton wrote the book, The Biology of Belief, and he talked about how these effects were possible. Uh, what I did in the gene in your genes was show that they're measurable. And so he took studies and showed how people's, how emotions are literally shifting the expression of your genes. And a simple example is your stress genes. Um, we have two main ones, cortisol and adrenaline are our main stress hormones. And when you have a stressful event, if you have a, uh, if you hear a loud noise, if you have a, uh, uh, get an unpleasant, uh, have an unpleasant interaction with the person around you, you'll have a rise in cortisol. But what research also shows that if you remember that event later on, so maybe you know you had a dog snarl and bark at you in the park over the weekend, and you had a big panic moment as a result of that real seeming threat to your survival with this dog barking and its jaws opening and it looked terrifying. So there was a real threat, possible threat to your survival, and you had a rise in adrenaline and cortisol. And that's a objective threat that is affecting you at the level of your biology. And so what Bruce showed in Biology Belief is that our body is translating those external events in the environment into inner environmental signals which then can trigger a cascade of effects on our body. In the gene in your genes, I show that that effect extends down to the level of which genes are being turned on and being turned off. So uh, that was the, the big idea I had 15 years ago. And uh, it was a very powerful idea. And now, when I wrote the book, I was just saying, hey, this has got to be true. We can see that if your cortisol is rising, then the genes that code for cortisol must be being turned on as well. This was an obvious proposition to make. By the time I wrote the second edition of the book a few years later, there were 12 studies that showed that. There was zero when I began. And then by the time I wrote the third edition of the book, there were hundreds of studies showing that emotions and states affect genes. So uh, we know now that genes are affected by the environment, and that includes the emotional environment. When you talk about the dog, a uh, day later, uh, six months later, a year later, if you're slow emotionally triggered, 
you're having that same rise in cortisol or adrenaline, and you're having that same kind of genetic response with those genes being turned on. And that's okay if it's mild. If it's major, if you were abused as a child, if you're used to having your cortisol and survival genes turned on over and over and over again, then you get stuck at this high level of gene expression for those stress genes. And that is not harmless in your body. In the gene in your genes, I show and list studies showing that if you have high cortisol over time, you have loss of muscle mass, you have loss of bone density, you have loss of the ability to turn short-term into long-term memories, so memory degradation, uh, learning impairments in your body, you have skin wrinkling, you have sh a shorter lifespan, all kinds of bad things happen if you're highly stressed and can't turn off that stress response. And so I've already been promoting these techniques like tapping, like acupressure, like time in nature, like grounding, like yoga, that center you in your body and help you overcome your stress. So that, that was sort of where I've been going for the last many years. But then I began to think about uh, we, we document these, these effects in our bodies, but are they affecting the world around us? Are they affecting things outside of the body? And one of the main um, little uh, nudges I had about this is my wife and I keep a journal. And we just, as we travel, as we meet people, as we do things, and we rewrite stories in our journal. So I have a personal journal. Then we have this relationship journal. As we travel, we, we, we notice things happening around us. And we were just struck by how many synchronicities happen. Like, it's just uncanny how many synchronicities happen. Like, we're, one, one day we were in Paris, France. Now, we don't speak French, then we were in Paris, and um, we were in an area that was really uh, kind of uh, very modern and uh, bleak looking. There wasn't much, all modern buildings, was, wasn't much uh, information there, and we were looking for a restaurant to eat at, so we're standing there looking at this, uh, they these, these maps in, in Paris called Plan de Cartier. It's just the, the, uh, a map of the local area. And we're standing there looking at this map, wondering where to get a really good dinner. And suddenly this woman walks up to us and says, hey, I want to let you know, there's a fantastic Persian restaurant two blocks away from here. And I'm scratching my head and thinking, okay, how did she know we, speak, we spoke English? We're, we're standing there looking at the, at the map there, but she has no idea whether we're from, we're from Bulgaria or from Australia, but she begins speaking English to us, and she starts answering the question that we had not yet asked her about, where's a great place to eat? And she raved about this Persian restaurant. We wound up going there, and it really was, was good. But just synchronous things like that happen to us all the time. So we began writing a big S in our journal, and I began to think about synchronicities, and I thought about, you know, maybe our thoughts, our intentions, our, uh, our, our beliefs, our worldviews are affecting the world around us. So just as kind of a, a whimsical project, I began to interview other scientists on my radio show about mind to matter. How is it possible for our minds and our intentions to literally create effects, not just in biologically in our bodies? We know that they can that our thoughts can create hormones and enzymes and gene expression, but can our thoughts literally affect the world around us? And um, I, you know, I wasn't sure that was true, but uh, now in, in, the, in my new book, Mind to Matter, I quote over 400 
scientific studies. I don't make you, you don't have to read them all. Just, just if you read the book, you'll see what they tell you because I, you know, I, I read the stuff that's really hard to understand. These really, I mean, these big bright ideas from these bold genius brains. But then I realized that most people around me, my wife won't understand that paper. Uh, my mother-in-law won't understand that paper. Our house cleaner won't understand that paper. So I let it write it in a way that the housekeeper can understand. And that's what, I, that's what, what if you're a science writer, that's what you do. So I write, that, write, write these things in, in simple ways. And um, the, the, the stories of people who have had these experiences are so profound and moving. One woman, for example, her name is Wanda Birch. I tell her story in the first chapter of the book. And uh, she, she had a dream that she had cancer, she had breast cancer. And so she went to see her doctor, made an appointment, went to see her doctor. Doctor gave her a thorough examination and her doctor said to her, Wanda, you have no sign of breast cancer. They gave her all these tests and the doctor said, you have, there's no sign of breast cancer whatsoever, okay? And uh, Wanda was insistent. She said, I had a dream. And in my dream there, I, I know it's breast cancer. I, I dreamed there was a ledge, like a rock stone ledge. And there was a pile of debris under the ledge. And that's where the cancer is in my body. So her doctor, who's a wonderful uh, OBGYN, said to her, okay, I want you to show me on your breast exactly where that pile of debris is under the ledge. So Wanda pointed to exactly where she, she visualized that pile of debris being on her, under the ledge on her breast. So the doctor took a biopsy needle and put a biopsy needle in there and took a sample of tissue out of Wanda's breast that, that same day, sent it off to the lab, lab, and it turned out that she had a very aggressive, very fast growing and virtually undetectable soft cell breast cancer growing right in the spot, tiny little spot that she had dreamed of. Now, how do, how do, how do our minds create these kinds of synchronicities in the world around us? How do we, how do we get these, these messages from the universe? Where are they coming from? Parts of them are from our bodies. Other things are from outside of ourselves. An example of that is there are several Qigong masters and they can take water, another substance. We, uh, the, our, our bodies are 70% water. The planet is 70% water on its surface. So water is all around us. We just take H2O for granted, but water is a miraculous substance. And so in uh, one amazing piece of, of research, the, the, the investigators took water and they measured the angle at which it bonds. And of course, it, you know, we, we, it, everyone knows what the, what the chemical formula is for water, it's H2O. So it's, it's basically a big oxygen molecule with two little hydrogen molecules that branch off it. And that angle has been measured by science for a century. The angle, the molecular angle of that molecule, it's 104 and a half degrees. So they knew when they looked at the water, they'd find that molecular bonding angle between the oxygen and the two hydrogens of 104.5 degrees. But when they looked at water that had been blessed by a healer, healing touch, therapeutic touch, when that healer had held the water in her hands or in his hands, that bonding angle changed. When that water was later used to water plants, in some of the experiments, early experiments in this field, the water that had been blessed by the healer, those plants germinated 
the seeds that the, the healer had, the seeds were watered with that water, more of those seeds germinated than in the control group, and the plants grew twice as fast and twice as big as in the group that hadn't been treated. So that water was having big effects on biological systems. So literally, our energy fields and our thoughts, our beliefs, especially if our minds are focused and coherent, those are having big effects on the world around us. And as I pieced together all the science behind this, I found literally hundreds of studies showing that we don't just affect the cells of our bodies, like those cortisol and gene expression studies. We literally affect the stuff of the world around us. That is epic, man. I appreciate you doing that research. Um, I really like the one with the plants because that's really fascinating. And, you know, there's, there's ideas that like plants are conscious, things like that. So what I'd like to ask you then is I have heard that we're creating our, our reality, you know, extremely quickly, like fractal, 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 fractal. You know, does this corner store exist until I get over to the corner store and then what's happening? It's kind of being created as I move along. Does your work go into simulation theory and things and things like that like where you're saying we're creating a reality from the mind so where does that get into as far as you know what's going on here what are we doing if we're creating this reality it's us creating the entire universe individually and do you do you go with do you know what i'm trying to get at do you are you for simulation theory uh, does it does it merge or is it separate or what's the ideas around that well there the book is called Mind to Matter, The Astonishing Science of How Your Brain Creates Material Reality. And so there are ways in which your brain literally creates material reality, like the water, like the debris under the ledge. Um, but there are also ways in which your brain does not create material reality. Like, for example, if I were to imagine a, uh, a steamroller behind me, there would not be a steamroller behind me. I can imagine that all I want. I can meditate. I can get totally coherent. I can get into an elevated emotional state. I can meditate for a year, and I will not produce a steamroller in the same rooms. Highly, highly, highly unlikely. So there are, there are things that are just not going to happen, mind to matter. And there are things that are definitely going to happen. If I think about the dog, I'm definitely going to have a rise in cortisol. Okay, so there are things that are ways which I definitely create reality, the water experiments, other experiments like that, uh, my body, my enzymes, my horm hormones, my, my neurotransmitters, that's a fact, okay? But the steamroller, it's equally a fact. I'm not going to create that steamroller in the room with me by thinking about it. So what I ask in the, in the book, in the introduction to the book actually, is what's the middle ground? What's happening in the middle here? And I give an example in the, in the introduction of the book. Uh, by the way, you can download the introduction free online at, uh, at the website mindtomatter.club. We just put this up like two days ago. So there's the introduction and the, the first chapter for free at mindtomatter.club. And uh, so if you go there, you can download this, this story amongst others. And so there are these two poles. There's the steamroller, you can't do that. There is the stress hormones. You can definitely do that with your mind. So what's the middle ground? So I tell the story in the introduction of the book. And uh, the story is about how I was, I went on vacation to Hawaii many years ago. And I, there's, I love all, all the Hawaiian islands. There's one island and one part of an island that I really love. And uh, I rented a condo for a few days. I was working on a book I had a 
deadline from a publisher to finish up this book. So I was working on this book in Hawaii, giving myself uninterrupted time to write in the condo. And uh, then I'd go swimming in, in the bay outside, or I'd, I'd drive to one of the nearby beaches and I'd, I'd go swimming. So I rented a Jeep because some of the, the beaches in Hawaii are inaccessible except by four-wheel drive. So what I would do is I threw all my scuba diving and my snorkeling gear in the back of the Jeep. I would just drive the, the Jeep to wherever I was going. I'd go swimming there, maybe scuba diving or, or snorkeling, then I'd drive back to the condo and ride. So I had this nice little thing going on there. And um, that particular day, I drove to a beach called Lawai Beach in Kauai, the island of Kauai. It's called a beautiful Lawai Beach. It has a, has a turtle colony living in a, a, a coral reef, maybe a quarter mile offshore. It's a long, very, very sheltered, sheltered beach because of the reef out, out there. And so that particular day, I, uh, I, 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 uh, I, uh, I grabbed all my gear out of the back of the Jeep. I went uh, for a long snorkel going all over Lawai Bay. And then eventually I decided to head, head back home. So I swam back to my entry point and I got out of the water, walked over to the Jeep to stow my gear, felt in my pocket for the car key, the Jeep key. My pocket was empty. I realized that at some point in my swim, I dropped the key. So I didn't panic, I thought, no big deal. I'll just retrace my steps. I'll walk back to the change room and look, look there. So I walked back to the change room and looked there. No key. Then I walked down to the beach and began to kind of shuffle through the sand to see if the key was there. Because not only was this the car key, I'd also clipped the apartment, the condo key, to that same key ring. So I couldn't get into my car and I couldn't drive anywhere and I couldn't open the condo without those keys. <clears throat> so uh, there I was, stuck. So I realized... The key wasn't any of those places. Then I thought, I looked out over this huge expanse, about a quarter mile, square mile, of this Lawai Bay and thought, the key fell out of my pocket somewhere into the coral there. And it's about between six and 12 feet deep. So it's you know, fairly, fairly deep in places. And so I thought, don't panic, just have the intention of finding the key and swim around the bay. So I went out there and I spent a long time just crisscrossing the bay back and forth. But then the light was failing. I was thinking, hey, some of that coral's 12 feet down. You're looking down at this, these, these, these coral beds. There are all kinds of holes in the coral. How will you find a tiny key ring in such a huge expanse? But again, I just had this feeling of softness and drawing the key back to me in my heart. But eventually I realized no matter how much you feel, um, this is just a, there's no way you're gonna find a key ring in this massive expanse of the bay. So I thought it's time to admit reality and I, I began to swim back to the beach. As I was swimming back, there was a father who had just entered the water with his three teenage sons. So the four of them had been swimming around there for just a few minutes as, I, as everyone else was leaving the beach. These guys were just entering and swimming around in the beach. And they were diving down and playing, playing with each other, chatting on the surface. And as I swam by them, I, just, I, I, I waved to them and said, you know, I noticed you guys diving to the bottom. Did anyone find anything down there? And the youngest boy held up a key ring. <laughs> now, you know, these synchronicities 
not just that day, it's over and over and over and over and over again in our lives. So we had to wonder how our intentions affect reality. So that's the way in which I believe it happens. We set ourselves up for in in intentionality. We don't create the steamroller, we do create the hormones, and we create the, 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 the circumstances of our lives in various ways. I'll give you one, one other little tiny short example. That's Walmart, the Walmart chain. <clears throat> and I'm not a... Uh, I, don't I don't like being in crowds, don't like being in big box stores, but every once in a while I go to Walmart. I used to have just a, a really uh, negative attitude about Walmart. I, I just, you know, they were out of stock of something, I couldn't find something. Uh, I didn't like walking around the aisles. I didn't like all the energy there. I just basically would, would have a really, you know, I, and I felt a lot of the people who were supposed to be helping you either were totally absent or weren't helping you. But my wife would say to me, Dawson, practice being in your heart and being in a space of, of kindness and compassion in Walmart. So I thought, okay, if I can be in that state in Walmart, I can be there anywhere. <laughs> so I began. And now, you know, I go to Walmart nowadays every once in a while and I enter that heart space and I have a wonderful experience. I, I, I talk to the staff there if I need anything. People are so kind to me. I walked into the store the other day and this person, I said, you know where the certain thing is? She said, I don't know where it is, but I'll go find the manager and I'll find it for you. And she did. You know, the people are so sweet and kind to me. So that I changed it, it inside and then my experience changed. If I had stayed in my interior state of thinking this is, a hor this is a horrible place, then I would have kept on creating that external experience. And we do. We create our experiences over and over and over again by our mental state. And to change our external experience out there, we have to change in here, even though I may have had every single experience in my whole life of Walmart may have been a negative one. If I first create the reality in here of love and kindness and compassion and helpfulness and a good experience, even though I have no confirmation at all from the outside environment that that's true, then I will begin to create differently. But it starts in here. Start creating differently in here, and then you have the external reinforcement start to show up. But while you think the world is a certain way, you are unconsciously creating that kind of world out there, even though you think that's the way the world really is, it isn't. It's the way, way you are, and the way to change is to change inside here. Amazing, brother. I totally agree. And I know that you do some work with athletes as well. And, and it's this fundamental when you deal with athletes to say you want to learn a backflip. If you can't imagine what that's going to be like before you do it, there's no chance you're probably going to fall on your head or whatever the case is. And it goes out in, into the world as well. So my question would be, of all the research that you've done, what does somebody do listening to apply what you've learned, to make it tangible, to bring it into their lives, to apply all this knowledge, to, to um, use whether it's a technique or a strategy or it's a perspective? And the second thing is where are the limits? So, you know, you go into the law of attraction or Dr. Joe Dispenza's work or um, whatever the case is, and it's like, okay, Matt, I want to create this reality of – you know, I don't know, uh, the podcast is 10 million viewers a month around the world. It fully sustains me and I get helicopter rides, whatever, whatever craziness you can imagine in your mind that you're building your reality. Um, 
and some of them are small, right? Sometimes little, it might be an improvement of a job. So that's more realistic to people, right? It's like, oh, maybe I can improve my job and then they believe they can do it. But for me, it's like, it doesn't matter what the thing is. Maybe there's more of a time gap. So I'm curious, the applicable strategies of what you've learned and do you see a limit to this, right? Like, can I be on a rocket ship going through outer space? Maybe that'll happen when I'm 90, but it's still possible. <laughs> yeah, those good, good, good questions. And that question of how you change, what tactics, strategies, skills do you learn to, to change, that has been a question in human experience for tens of thousands of years. And uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus talked about loving kindness, love, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. So Jesus talked about a change of heart. Uh, the Buddha talked about meditation, and he had a lot of other, other elements of his philosophy, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold, uh, Eightfold Path. But uh, all these great teachers, Confucius, Lao Tzu, uh, they all had some emphasis on inner stillness and inner peace and not being reactive. And that is an essential, um, an essential strategy you have to employ is whatever it takes you to not be reactive to your outside outside environment if i keep reacting to the walmart clerk and react the same predictable ways then i'll stay the same person and then in terms of tactics the two i teach in in mind to matter i i mentioned a whole bunch of them but the two i really emphasize one is meditation i think meditation is the the foundation of emotional regulation and emotional regulation is the foundation of a uh, a peaceful life and um, the kind of, of coherence required for manifestation. In one of the studies I talk about in chapter six of Mind to Matter, these, uh, these meditators were focused on changing the structure of the DNA molecule. Essentially, they had a, a test tube, a flask with uh, human DNA in it, and they were asked to, DNA, of course, is a double helix, looks like a twisted piece of string, and you can measure the uh, degree of twist if you take the DNA and turn it, twist it more tightly, or you unravel it a little bit, you can measure the degree of twist of DNA using uh, certain technologies. So what they were told to do was they were told to take this test tube of DNA and make it twist tighter. And so they were able to do that, but only if they were in this highly coherent state. People who had the intention of twisting the DNA without being coherent were unable to make any change in matter. So if you just have intentions, I want to be rich, I want to meet, meet the woman of my dreams, I want to be in the, in the marriage of my, I want, I want to be by my soulmate, I want to live in this place, I want to make this money, blah, 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 blah. If you just have that intention, what research shows over and over again is that intention has almost no impact on the outside world. But when you're coherent, when your mind, when your intentions, when your heart, when your spirituality, when all these, when your energy field is completely coherent, you have the power of a laser. I talk about a light bulb. If you take a light bulb, ordinary 60 watt light bulb, that light travels maybe six or eight feet away from the source. It dissipates very quickly. It uses over 90% of its energy in heat rather than light. It's not very effective. Take that same 60 watts, turn it into a laser, and make that light coherence, it'll cut through steel. So coherent light will cut through steel, incoherent light will dissipate off for a few yards. Uh, that's the same thing with our minds. We have to be coherent. 
when they had those, uh, those coherent and tenders intent for that DNA to twist, twist tighter, it twisted tighter. When those coherent intenders intended the DNA to untwist, it twisted tighter. When they put three test tubes next to each other and told the intenders, twist the DNA tighter in only the middle test tube and leave the two neighboring test tubes untouched, that's exactly what happened. So again, these coherent states are what does this. And meditation is the way to acquire this kind of state. And I, I give you a technique called eco-meditation in Mind to Matter. So if you go to mindmatter.club, there are all these links over there to, to, to eco-meditation, to tapping, all kinds of ways of getting coherent that I, I teach in the book. You have to do that. Now, when the cool thing is, when you start to do this, when you start to meditate every day, when you tap regularly to release your stress, then you become much calmer. You have higher degrees of emotional regulation. Your emotional regulation increases. But I have an example in the first chapter of Mind to Matter. And in that chapter of Mind to Matter, I talk about the example of a guy called Graham Phillips. And he went on an eight-week mindfulness uh, uh, exercise, we learn and practice mindfulness for two months. And these researchers at Monash University in Australia, where Graham Phillips lives, did a lot of tests on him before and after his eight weeks of mindfulness. So he had his brain volume scan using an MRI and an fMRI. So he had all kinds of testing done of his brain. Then again, in two months, he came back to the lab and they tested his brain again, and his cognitive function had increased dramatically. But when they ran his brain scans, they found that the emotional regulation part of his brain, this part of the, the midbrain, the hippocampus, is called the dentate gyrus in the brain. His dentate gyrus had grown in volume in eight weeks by 22.8%. That's almost a 23% increase in neural volume in the dentate gyrus, and the dentate gyrus is what helps develop emotional regulation and coordinate the brain for emotional regulation. So not only was his ability to regulate his emotions improving, but the hardware in his brain was changing as well. Mind was literally producing a change in matter. The software of meditation and calmness and mindfulness was producing a change in the hardware of his body. So you're literally shifting the hardware of your body by the software of your mind at every moment. So those are some of the things you can do. What the limits are? I suspect, Matthew, that we don't know the limits yet because we're just starting this journey. We're just really discovering mindfulness on a big scale now. People are discovering, discovering tapping on a big scale now. I want millions and millions of people to get, to get those benefits. My, my goal, if you go to my main website, it says we want to positively affect the lives of over one billion, with a B, people. Why should people keep on suffering from stress and anger and, and anxiety and depression and PTSD when we can show with our research all of these things are, if not curable in everyone, the curable in most people. In, in, in our nonprofit, we've done over, uh, we've done eight randomized controlled trials of veterans of PTSD, and it shows that in 84% of veterans that we treat, their PTSD symptoms are dramatically reduced, and they no longer have a PTSD diagnosis. Their flashbacks are gone, their nightmares are gone, their hypervigilance is gone. It's having a radical effect 
in 84% of veterans who go through our stress reduction program. So we have the ability now to deal with all of these mental health scourges like anxiety and depression that so bother people. And who knows when millions of people can release their childhood trauma, when millions of people, when, when children, uh, like for example, after the Sandy Hook massacre in Newtown, Connecticut, we and our friends of mine, colleagues of mine, we, we got volunteers. We had people going in there and working with the families of the traumatized kids. In Parkland, Florida, we did the same thing. We worked with over 20,000 veterans at this point, and we taught them to use these techniques to deal with their own PTSD. And when you start to give children these tools and prisoners these tools and veterans with PTSD these tools and abused people these tools, suddenly all of the limitations on human capacity that the human race has struggled with for millennia, those things are just gone. And you're able to do that backflip because you no longer have anxiety. You're able to be kind to people around you because you're no longer being compelled by the conditioning of your past. Who knows what we as a human being, human race, will achieve. But I know it'll be very different from what we would have accomplished had we not had this massive explosion in methods and tools that remove all these obstacles to human potential. So I, I, I think we're in for a profoundly positive future, but we, not one we can predict because, you know, uh, who could have predicted in, in 1795, who could have predicted that slavery would be gone in 30 years? It seemed impossible. There's a wonderful movie about that called Amazing Grace, which shows how the, like these six guys trying to abolish slavery kept on plugging away year after year, no, no effect, and suddenly, boom, it just happened. Uh, women's suffrage, women getting the vote, women, um, women playing a part in the political discourse. Women, did, that didn't happen for millennia. Suddenly, between uh, New Zealand granting women the vote in 1896 and, and America in, in 19. In 1934, suddenly 50 years, and women had the vote, and half of the human race came online politically in terms of their ability to influence human affairs. I mean, these massive changes, human societies are static for millennia, and suddenly, boom, they just jump, and we, we shift dramatically. So we're in the middle of one of those huge jumps in human civilization right now. That's the topic of a whole different talk, <laughs> a whole different program. But uh, that is where we are right now, and it's unpredictable. We have no idea where this jump will take us. We just do know that it's not linear. I talk in the book about linear um, processes in, in chemistry and physics and mathematics and human society. So things change bit by bit by bit by bit incrementally. So you blow a balloon up and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Then it pops. That's a non-continuous event. You, you boil water and the temperature gets a little bit higher and higher and higher and higher and suddenly it bursts into boil, boiling, a discontinuous event. We're in, the, we're in the middle of a discontinuous social event where we unlock human potential and we start to be a whole different something than we would have before that's non-continuous. It's not just evolution like this. It's some kind of vast, tectonic change in human consciousness. We're, we're right in the middle of it now. So I can't predict where that takes us, but I can tell you it will look nothing like our past.
That's amazing, brother. I totally agree. And you're coming at it with all the science, you know, all your research as well. And, and it's coming to that kind of same conclusion for me. And I feel, feel like a lot of others that we're moving in a positive direction. We can create a reality. And those are the fundamental things. You know, the application is simple. So I want to ask, you know, are those stress reducers for people who are in stress and they're in this loop? Uh, meditation and EFT, I feel like those are your two big ones. I want you to touch yes. on that. And then because I know you have to leave and that's why I wanted you to stay for as long as you'd like to go into the evolution of consciousness, maybe we'll, we'll have another one and we can explore that. I just wanted to ask you a super deep question because I just had a big podcast with a truth seeker who grew up in the Bible belt. And uh, if you look outside that Bible belt, if you look at anything different um, and he started to look at things different, you know, basically you would be considered the enemy. Don't look at that because it becomes, uh, you know, whatever the, the devil or something like that. So in your research, where, where do you, def, where do you fit God into this, that unforeseen force, you know, that, that mystery we're starting to affect our reality. We know that we create our re own reality, but we're in this massive mystery that we know nothing about. So um, do you want to speak on that a little bit? And then I'll let oh, you oh, yeah. close out with your final thoughts and, and go as long as you want. I'm just mindful of the time for you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, so at the end of mind to matter, I talk about attunement with the infinite because uh, there's local mind and my local mind says, my name is Dawson Church. Look, I have a driver's license to prove it. And uh, I wrote a book called The Genie in Your Genes. I wrote this new book called Mind to Matter. And I have a, you know, I have a cover and a publisher to prove it over here. So I have this local reality and I'm six foot five and I have gray hair, gray, I, I, I have gray eyes and brown hair. And I have so this local mind about who I think I am. You meditate for a while and you get in touch with non-local mind, and you realize that you're tapping into this one great, magnificent universal consciousness. And the, the whole chapter on this very well-understood phenomenon in physics called the observer effect, where when a phenomenon is observed, it then happens. If it isn't observed, it doesn't happen. But that, the, where, where I go in the book is I say, okay, we know that the physical world is dependent on the observer for its existence, so who's the observer? And the observer is non-local mind. The observer is consciousness itself. And consciousness comes to focus in my local mind. But if I live my life kind of cut off over here as though this is all I am, I'm going to have a very limited life. But if I meditate and get aligned with non-local mind, then suddenly consciousness my local consciousness is, is, is to drop in the ocean and I'm having this expansive experience. So all of these great figures, the Buddha and Muhammad and Jesus and the, the, the various deities, the various um, uh, prophets that are worshipped, what happened was that they had that experience. They aligned themselves with non-local mind. It's experience of, of the consciousness of the universe and they describe all kinds of common phenomena and again, in one chapter of the book, I describe what those, those phenomena are. One is you lose track of time and space. When you're Jesus during the 40, years of, 40 days of wandering in the wilderness, when you're Muhammad on the night journey, when you're the Buddha under the Bodhi tree, then these, these great figures, they lose all track of time and space. They have a sense of timelessness and spacelessness. Now, what's interesting is that the part of the brain that processes spatial information and temporal information 
goes offline. We can now hook these people up when they're having these mystical experiences to an EG, and we literally see that whole part of the brain, brain shut down. Other parts of the brain to do with happiness and expansiveness light up. So the brain function starts to change when people have these mystical experiences. And so they, they go to the mountaintop. Muhammad, I mean, uh, Moses goes to Mount Sinai and has this experience of being face-to-face with God. But what happens then is interesting. They come down from the mountaintop, or like Jesus, they come out of the wilderness, or like John the Baptist, they, they show up in their daily life. And then they try to explain this to other people. And then other people say, wow, look at that guy. He's wearing a saffron robe. So saffron robes must be really important. Let's all wear saffron robes. Uh, he's wearing a, a, a blue flower in his shirt, that must be a blue flower. It's got to be really important. Sandals. Oh, God, sandals. You know, we've got to have those. Oh, and he did it in the, in the deserts. We have to go to the desert. We have to go to Mount Sinai. We have to go to the Himalayas. We have to meditate in, in, in a monastery. Oh, he was meditating for, for, for six years. Oh, everyone has to meditate for six years. So they then uh, look at the trappings in which the person had the mystical experience. And they make a religion out of it. So these mystics all are having the same experience of oneness with non-local consciousness, one with infinite intelligence. They're all there. They come back and try to explain it to people around them. And they then get a religion made out of that experience that is anchored to the dress, the culture, the language, the concepts of that era. And so the religions all look different to each other, but what they share is that mystical experience. What I talk about in Mind to Matter is that now with modern equipment like MRIs and EEGs, we can map what's going on in the brain. And as before it took this person, you know, six years of meditation or 40 days in the wilderness to get to that state, that elevated state. Now, because we know what their mind map looks like, their brain map looks like, we can show people how to achieve that state in a few minutes. And it's amazing, when I do meditation retreats, we guide people, the first day takes them about four minutes to enter that state, not very long, because we, we reverse engineered it now. And so we have people in that state in four minutes, by the end of the third day, it's 90 seconds, minute and a half, they can acquire that state. And what's more is that state is no longer a religious or spiritual state, only reserved for people who are mystics. That state is now being used. The, 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 uh, the, um, some of the people who run Google use this. Nike's innovation team uses this. Red, Red Bull's executive suite uses this. The Navy SEALs have just built a massive complex in Norfolk, Virginia called the Mind Gym, where they train Navy SEALs to enter the state. The Navy SEALs call it ecstasis. I like the word ecstasy, but I-S on the end, ecstasis, where they enter, they train them to enter the state of ecstasis. In ecstasis, they are measuring what our brains do in, and then what they look like in ecstasis and how we perform. Our creativity doubles in ecstasis. Our ability to, to handle complex and ambiguous information more than quadruples in ecstasy. So all of these super performance abilities in athletes, in executives, in high performers occur. So what used to be reserved for the monastery, the desert fathers, the, the saints, the mystics, is now being used by the Olympic athletes, is being used by the high performing executive, is being used by somebody in, a, in like the Navy SEALs that do a lot of hostage rescue situations. They don't want to kill anybody or hurt anybody, but they want to get the hostages out. And so very, very difficult situations like that, they enter ecstasy, they then, in that state, are able to perform these very complex uh, 
dynamic calculations. So that's really where we as human beings are going. It's no longer the province of the mystics. It's now something, it's a formula, and you can just learn it and apply it and be there and basically spend most of your daily life in that wonderful, happy, mystical state, whether you're an office worker or whether you're in a department store or whether you're in a cubicle, you can learn to train yourself to be there and make that your reality. Incredible answer, brother. Um, I appreciate this whole conversation. Is there a link that someone can go through? Is it a guided meditation or how do they access that? Because I'm curious and I want to do it. So I'm sure other people are. And yes. any final thoughts? And if you want to keep going on anything, you're more than welcome. And where people can get a hold of you. Okay, so the book you can order at uh, the book's website, Mind to Matter, and that's dot club, dot C-L-U-B, dot club. It's not dot com, it's dot club, mindmatter.club. And there you'll find, like I'll be doing book, a bunch of book signings in the next while. I'll be doing a bunch of live events. All of those links are at mindmatter.club, as well as how to get the book, where to get the book, and you have to pre-order the book. It's not out yet, but you can pre-order the book there and get a whole bunch of cool bonuses, including that eco-meditation routine. So you'll find information in the book. And then if you want to just get the meditation, that's also free on the web. And that is at eco, E-C-O. Actually, you know, go, go to this one. A better website to go to is Dawson, my name, D-A-W-S-O-N, Dawson, gift, G-I-F-T dot com, because that site has both eco-meditation and also a free tapping manual. So you get both of those at one, in, at one location. So either go to DawsonGift.com for the meditation, the tapping manual, and a bunch of other things, or for to pre-order the book, go to MindToMatter.club. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Definitely come back so we can go down the rabbit hole and explore the evolution of consciousness. I appreciate all of your work, what you're doing, and who you are, man. Thanks so much. Bless you. Thank you. And I'd love to be back. Take care, guys. Leave me no hands on. <laughs> See ya. All right, guys, I hope that you enjoyed that episode with the man, Dr. Dawson Church. Like I said, he is a pioneer in the game, the author of The Genie in Your Genes, and is working on some, he has worked on incredible research, and now he's just con continuing to do incredible stuff and proving that your consciousness affects your reality, even your genes and your genetic makeup. So a truly inspiring man and individual and work. And he's so humble and uh, just, I can't say enough great things about him. I'm so grateful that he came on. Um, if you liked the episode, please share it with your friends, share it on your timeline, tag both of us in it. Um, what else? Time code. If you had some aha moments in there, time code those, send them to me. I'll, I'll take out the snippets to promote the full episode and Dr. Dawson's work and um, check out his free gift. Check out mapbelair.com and I've got the Lucid Dreamy freebie over there. If you want some coaching, just go forward slash coaching and I'll hook that up. Um, and what else? Oh, check out my, my sponsor, Perium there. Amazing. Got to remember that. Uh, Bit.ly forward slash activate health and use that same code. And get 50 bucks off CBD, which is amazing. Everybody should be taking that. And they have a bunch of other incredible products over there that are all certified, non -orga uh, certified organic, non-GMO. Uh, really spectacular high level stuff that you can get over there 
Um, I want to thank everybody who's supporting me on Patreon. I really appreciate that. If you haven't become a patron and you want to support the podcast, uh, you could do that. You can leave a review. You can um, share episodes. Just spread the word. Really helps. And uh, I appreciate you guys. You know, I do this because I love it, and uh, I'm so grateful for each and every listener, each and every one of you guys, uh, for coming on. I, I'm so grateful that you guys want to learn the same thing that I want. So we're, you know, we're two peas in a pod. So I have deep love and respect for you and appreciation for you. So I hope that your day is going incredibly. Before we leave this, um, I'll just invite you to come to a powerful state of peace and presence and remember that you are a creator being and your consciousness affects your reality and that's just the way it goes. So taking a deep breath in through your nose, setting the intention to come to powerful peace and presence now and just let that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries of the day. Take another deep breath in through your nose, and this time connecting to your multidimensional nature, to the fact that you are a powerful, infinite creator being, powerful enough to create and affect change in your own reality, to build the life and reality that you wish that you can dream of. Just let that breath out slowly with all the limitation, all the doubts, with all the self-criticism. Take it one more deep breath in through your nose and really doubling that feeling of connecting with your infinite nature with the fact that you are a multidimensional creator being, just seeing yourself powerful, creating whatever reality that you wish. We all have that capability and just letting out every doubt and every self-criticism and every thought that makes you think that you are not capable of doing this. And taking one more deep breath in through your nose, really feeling and connecting to your multidimensional creator self. And I'm sending you all of my love, all of my energy, all of my support, all of my knowing that if you are hearing these words, that it is the truth, that you can create your reality, that your consciousness matters, that your life matters, that you do have the power to create your reality and your life and you'll create it over a lifetime. Give yourself some time. Give yourself some space. Give yourself some forgiveness. Give yourself some for, uh, acceptance. We all have shadow. We all have things that we wish that we didn't do. We all have things that we're ashamed of, that we feel guilt for. Just give yourself forgiveness and kindness and accept all parts of you. And I'm sending you all of my love, my forgiveness, my kindness, my well wishes, anything that you need to just remember that you are whole, complete, perfect as you are with all mistakes, anything that ever happened. And know that you can move forward with those experiences to create a beautiful and empowering reality for yourself. And this will affect and this will ripple out to all the people that you know and your friends, your family, the community and the world that your example does matter. So sending you all of my love, all of my support. I hope that you have an absolutely tremendous day and I will see you in the next episode.